Today seemed like any other day. I waited for the other women to finish at the well. With their simple, boring, worthless little lives, their only excitement, gossiping about everyone else. Not all of us have perfect little lives handed to us. Some of us want more, and we have to actually do things to get there. I really don't care what they think of me anyway. I refuse to be around their hypocritical selves. As I approached the well today, a Jewish man spoke to me. Can you believe it? I thought we Samaritans were dogs to them. Then he went off into some crazy talk about living water and that he was the one to give it. L-O-L. So I said, all right, give me some. He then looked into my eyes and said, go get your husband. It was as though he could see everything about me. When I explained that I wasn't married, he already knew. He knew everything about me, down to the details. It was then that I realized there was no hiding, no excuses. This man must be from God. The more we discussed, the more my heart raged within my chest. Could this be the promised one? My mind raced as his words penetrated past the years of excuses I had made to justify my actions. For the first time, love, real love, had come into my heart. Shame, anger, lust, excuses, they were gone. Peace flooded me. Joy filled my thoughts. I have found the Messiah, or should I say, He has found me. Come on, you can do better now. Wasn't that powerful? Our guys made that for you. We're in a series right now called The Way I Saw It. And what we've done is we're looking through the eyes of some of the folks in the Gospels, how they saw it, what, how their interaction with Jesus not only affected them, but from the perspective that they were looking from. And today's teaching will come out of the, the book of John, chapter 4, if you want to go ahead and turn there with me. And we'll be looking at the Samaritan woman at the well, as already illustrated. Our key scripture is John chapter 4 and verse 14. Key scripture, John 4 and 14. It says, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Jesus, I ask you that over the next couple moments that you would engage with us, not religiously, Lord, not a systems of rules and regulations, but an interaction with the living God and humanity, with my humanity, with my sinfulness, with my righteousness that I get from you, Lord, that you would interact with all of who I am and all of who we are today, Lord. You would reveal truth to us that we've never seen before about ourselves. So would you speak to us in ways that we've never been spoken to? Use your word to cut past all the goofiness in our life and show us right where it all meets the road. We ask for your grace in Jesus' name. Now, in John chapter 4, Jesus comes into Samaria. Now, Jews and Samaritans were at odds with each other in a way that could only be described kind of like bloods and crips from back in the day. Uh, there is a racial tension. Um, Jews consider Samaritans half-breeds. Jews and Samaritans have had this ongoing feud. So when there were 12 tribes of Israel and they, they settled in the promised land, as you've heard people teach about maybe in the past, two tribes... Ephraim and Manasseh got the area that is now considered Samaria, or in this moment in Jesus' life, Samaria. And over time, uh, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and the Assyrians attacked and conquered them. And then when the Assyrians did this, they 
took all the royal families of those two tribes and all the critical leadership, if you will, and they hauled them off to Babylon, hauled them off to other nations. And then they took and they replanted other pagan people in that area. So the Jews that were left began to intermarry. They began to mix, if you will. And as a result of that, these people brought their foreign gods, their foreign religions, their false gods, their satanic worship. And they mixed it in with these Jewish folks who were marrying into this, who were supposed to be committed to Jehovah God. And as the years progressed, God got frustrated with them. And we see this moment in 2 Kings, which is kind of funny. I I mean, if I'm the one having this happen, it's not funny, but it is a really funny way of going about dealing with something. God sent lions into their city and killed them in the night which is kind of creepy. You think about that, you know? And I have been to Africa, and I have been out in an area that's considered like safari, which is out in a field with wild animals. And the thought of a lion coming out of the bushes is terrifying. Come on, how I many of you remember Ghost of the Darkness or whatever that movie was from back in the day? And so in this moment, they cry out because they recognize, even the pagan folks, that the God of the Jews is mad because we mixed the other gods in. So they Asked the king of Assyria, could you send some of those Jewish priests that we stole from this area back so they could teach the Jews who've gone away and, 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 and displease their God or Jehovah? Uh, and so they did. They sent a, a, a priest and they began to try to get things straight and, and uh, live according to the, you know, the law of Moses and all these pieces. And as time went on, you know, they really didn't and it became muddy. And, and so they were called Samaritans. And then they had the, uh, the, the end of the Babylonian Empire. And so Zerubbabel was able to bring back Jews that had been, you know, exiled back to the area. And built, he began to build the temple or the house of God in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans were like, no, no, no. Uh, you know, can we help you build? And, uh, and, and Zerubbabel told him, no, because you have denied God all these years. You've not trained your, your children and your children's children to serve the Lord. You are pagan, even though you think you're not. And so that caused an even greater rift. And as time continued on, they then went and said, okay, well, we're going to build our own temple, our own house of God on, uh, on Mount, uh, I think it's Gerizim is how you say it. And so they had these two competing temples, if you will. And by the time Jesus gets here, they are at full-on odds. In fact, Jewish people would go all the way around Samaria to get to another point instead of going through it simply because they hated each other so much. And by the moment that Jesus is on the planet, the Samaritans have gotten rid of all their pagan stuff and for the last three or 400 years had been completely committed to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, completely committed to that and didn't believe in didn't qualify any of the other prophetic books. And so there is this conflict now of we are more pious, uh, we are better because we adhere to the Torah. You, on the other hand, you know, take these other little pieces and, and put it into Jewish religion, da 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 da. And so it's in this atmosphere that Jesus does not circumvent Samaria, but he goes right down through the middle of it. And he finds himself. Middle of the day, straight up noon area, you know, hot, the heat of the day, and he's at a well. And he's at Jacob's well. And let's pick up there in verse 7. And I'm going to read a, little, read a good bit of passage today. But it is church, and we do believe in the Bible. So let's read some of it. So John chapter 4, verse 7. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone on into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, remember that, and who it is that asks you for a drink, remember that, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, this woman said, you have nothing to draw. You big idiot. You ain't got nothing to draw with. From the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, you Jew, you, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? How dare you, as did also his sons, his flocks, and his herds. He is rolling her neck at this point. Verse 13, and Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I, don't, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw, the, draw water basically from the well. And he told her, all right, go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, long pause. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you, are now, uh, you now have is not your husband. What you ha- uh, and what you have is said is quite true. Verse nine, 19, sir, the woman said, I get a kick out of this. I can see that you are a prophet. <laughs> Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, because I am a Jew. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming when he am he, everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27, then all of a sudden the disciples return, and they're surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, then leaving her water jar... The woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Skipping down to verse 39 now. And many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He had told me everything I ever did. So Jesus goes into this volatile racist racist situation. He goes in knowing that because he's a Jew and she's not a Jew, that she hates him and supposedly, and, and his people do hate her people. But he's the Messiah. And so he doesn't run away from racism. He runs to the heart of it so he can heal it. Come on, somebody. He goes right down in the middle of it. He sits at a well. Now, not only that, but this woman, um, in the culture that they live in, men do not talk to women, especially in the middle of the day, because that's a proposition. Come on, somebody. And so not only is he talking to a woman, but he's talking to a Samaritan woman. So he's breaking all kinds of cultural, uh, you know, faux pas. He is just going right past it because he wants the heart of this sweet young lady. He's sitting there at this well as she walks up and he asks her for a drink of water. It had to blow her mind that this guy would ask her for that just simply because Samaritan versus Jew. Man versus woman in this whole situation. 
And she says to him, sir, you don't even have something to get water. He goes, listen, if you, and he makes two points. If you knew the gift, I love this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for something to drink, you would be asking me for living water. Now, let me help you understand the statement that Jesus makes. If you knew the gift, this phrase is a reference to Joel chapter 2. This phrase is also reinstated in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples, go, go and wait. Day of Pentecost. Go and wait for the gift my father has promised. Go and wait for the gift my father, as I've been telling you about, go wait for the gift. In Joel chapter 2, Joel prophesies, and now she doesn't believe that those books because it's the prophetic books, so she doesn't even know this. And, and Joel prophesies that there is a day coming where the Lord will pour out his spirit on our sons and our daughters. Jesus is referring to the living water as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring, now you got to understand this, and some of you came out of denominational churches that didn't teach you about this, but this is so clear throughout Scripture. God understood something. He gave us a law, the law of Moses. This is right, this is wrong. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt, not, thou shalt honor their father and mother. He gave us this law, and then he gave us all these other pieces on what is right and what is wrong. Then he said, okay, humanity, try to live that. We could not lived that. We were not strong enough. We were not good enough. The moment we got in trouble, we started lying to get ourselves out of it. The moment that fine woman came along, we started chasing that skirt. And he knew that we could not live by it. And then he sends Jesus and Jesus, the perfect sacrificial lamb, lived not only so holy, he fulfilled every bit of that law. He lived it right as a, as a pattern for us. Come on somebody. So he gave us what right and wrong was. He proved to us that we couldn't do it in and of our own strength. Then he gave us the perfect spotted lamb who did do that, sacrificed him so that it would cover over all of our sinfulness that we could not even do this thing. Then he sent us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to give us power to actually be like Jesus, act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and and, and smell like Jesus. Come on, somebody. So he gives us this power. Now, they have not had that power. All throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come down on men and women do supernatural things, and then lift off of them. But on the day of Pentecost, Jesus was prophesying to this woman, if you knew the gift, sweet love, I have, caught, I have sliced through all racial problems to come to you. If you had any idea who you was talking to, you would ask me for the living water. That's a reference to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it like this, there is a river that runs from the throne of God. The power of God surging through our lives, like living water refreshing us daily. See, you understand the work of the Holy Spirit is two-part. Number one, to regenerate me, and number two, to empower me. And so I grew up in a denominational church that taught me that only regeneration, it didn't tell me anything about empowerment. And so guess what? Every Sunday I was at the altar repenting for the same sin. Couldn't stop it. Couldn't stop it. Couldn't stop it. Until finally we met someone who said, you know, there is a gift for you. Have you ever found out that there was a gift for you and it had been sitting there for weeks and months at a time? My wife will do that. Leave a package up in the living room somewhere. I don't even know it's there. Oh, I forgot to tell you. You, you. you know the feeling? It's like, are you crazy? I need that. The gift my father promised. Sweet love, if you had any idea the gift of living water that I could give you, Because you've been trying to live by this Torah thing and it's killed you. 
It's killed you. So you need to understand something about this woman. Why was she drawing water at noon? If you understand culture, the ladies would do most of the caring for the family. So there were family operations from cooking to buying land and property and doing all these pieces. And so every morning, as this, before the sun came up, right as the sun was coming out, most of the ladies of the city would go out to that well. They would draw water. It was a time as you were waiting in line to get your water drunk that they're talking. They're, they're, I mean, they just, I mean, they back and forth. Oh, my God, did you hear what he did? I cannot believe that. I know I'm making some assumptions. I repent. Anyway, but they're having this interaction. They <laughs> they're having this interaction. They're talking. I mean, listen, it, it, it is. I'm telling you, it is Facebook happening right there. They are interacting. All the news, all the gossip is happening right there. This woman is not a part of that, even though that would be the best way to do it. Why? Because then you get your day started. You go forth. You, you need the, the water. They didn't have running water. They didn't have running water in toilets and, and cooking and things like that. And so they had to go draw the water. They had to clean with this water and so they got multiple jars that they're carrying they're filling up they're dropping it down in that well getting it back up and they're rushing home and getting it all ready for the family and taking care of their families and then going out and working and buying and doing business throughout the day and they got this whole thing that this woman doesn't go out till four or five day, hours later why because she's been married for five times because she's the scarlet letter lady of the city She's the one who's supposed to be a Christian, but she ain't. Let me tell you. I heard, and I met her number three dude. He is a good dude. And you know she cheated on him with number four. They hadn't even been married even three months. What? That's right. She ain't nothing but a hoochie. I'm going to tell you that's a hoochie right there. So she ain't going out to that well till nobody's there. Why is nobody there? Have you ever been in the Middle East in August at noontime? There is not a place closer to the pit of hell. I mean, it is hot is what I'm trying to say. It is hot. You and I both know you don't go out in the middle of the day like that. She's out there just laboring. And as she's there, there is Jesus. And Jesus says to her, can you give me something to drink? She says, What you asking me for water? He said, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for living water. You would ask me for the spirit of the Lord that would transform everything in your life, and you would no longer be the scarlet letter. You would no longer be trying to look and put love in all the wrong places. You wouldn't be doing that. I would give you life, and I would give you power because I'm the one who can give it to you. In that moment, something had to be shifting inside of her. See, something had to, had to say, wow, this guy speaks like nobody else. And so what happens is then she goes into a religious discussion. Well, you Jews say this, and you say this, and you say this, and Jesus cuts through all the poop and says, I tell you what, go get your husband. She's in a moment. I would imagine it's a long pause because her entire life, as I see it through her eyes, has been about who's done her wrong. How she's had to scramble to make her life work. Because this one cheated on her. This one didn't do her right. This one didn't finance her properly. And she's in a moment. She's scrappy. She's street smart. She knows good and well she could say, okay, and go get the man she's living with. Bring him back. Now, look, this dude, he thinks you're my husband. Come on back here. Let's just deal with this Jewish dude. You might have to beat him up. I don't know. He was talking mean to me. Talking about water and stuff and living water. And so you know she's playing that through in her mind. But as she looks into the eyes of the Messiah, she can't lie anymore. 
she can't make excuses anymore. For whatever reason, probably for the first time in her life, she owns it. She owns it that she's got a problem. She's not, she doesn't make an excuse. Well, I would have a husband, but this happened and this happened. She don't do anything like that. She opens up her heart for the first time, I think, and she goes, I'm not married. And the reason why I think it's for the first time, because Jesus is kind of dumbfounded, like, what? You done told the truth. You told the truth. You've been married five times. Let me prophesy to you. Bill, Jim, Dewan. I mean, he goes through the list. Boom, boom. Jose, I mean, he covers, he covered it all. <laughs> and the one you with now is not your husband. And then he says it again. He goes, so you have told the truth. You've said it rightly. See, I believe she got so used to lying about it and making excuses about the problem and blaming it on everybody else that Jesus was like, what? You done told the truth. I believe it marked him. For the first time, she opened up her heart. There was light. And Jesus sees it. And he prophesies it. He speaks a word of knowledge about the five husbands. Her response is, you are a prophet. But then her heart closes back up. Oh, you Jews say that we should worship like this and this mountain over here. But we Samaritans think this mountain is a better place and God's presence house is like And he goes, hold, 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 hold up. Hold up, girlfriend. Let me just tell you something. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, sweet love. You know, went back to your little hiding stuff. You've got to have the spirit of the Lord empowering you, sweet love, to really know God. And then you've got to be honest with yourself and truthful. And it won't matter. Jerusalem, this mountain, it won't matter. What he's looking for are those who just are honest and authentic and have his power flowing through their veins. That's what he's looking for. So then, can you imagine? She's like, and you know he's just about to just hammer it down and speak life to her. And she does it again. And she, she diverts over here and she diverts over there. And well, well, you know, well, I don't really agree with you on that, you know. I don't really know. I don't know about that because we believe that it's going to be in this mountain. You say it's over here. I don't really know about what you just said. I don't really agree. But one thing I do know is there's a, the Messiah is going to come, and he'll fix it all for us, right? I mean, he'll fix it all for us. And he looks at her, and he goes, I am he. And he uses the verbiage that all throughout Hebrew represents God, I am. His name is I am. In other words, before there was, I am. After there was, I am. That's his name as we, as, as we define it in English. I am. What he says to her is, I am he. I am. He uses verbiage that she would understand. Woo! And when he says that, you can just see. You can feel it. The hair is on the back of her neck. She is talking to the one who has all the solutions. She went today to just go through her chores and standing in front of her is some Jewish dude and he's not the he's not some Jew, he's the Messiah I thought it would be a Samaritan dude but it's a Jewish dude and he's the one he's the Messiah and you know that there's about to be this explosive interaction and then up walk the doggone disciples what y'all doing what you doing with a woman what's she doing with you Bible says they don't say it, but they thinking it. It actually says they thinking it. Like, what are you doing with a woman at noontime? Who is this hoochie woman, Jesus? 
We barely got through the express line. Here's your number four, supersize. What does she want? And while they're having this little like, what? She leaves her jar. The Bible says she goes running out into the community. Now, let me ask you something. You the hoochie woman of the community. Why you going to go run out in the community? Something's happened. And she goes, hey, hey, come meet the man. I met a guy. He told me everything about me. He knows all my sin. And he loves me. You gotta, I'm telling you, he's the Christ. Come meet him. Come meet him. And the Bible says that the whole city came out. They came out and they came out. And as they listened to him, they, the Bible says, that, and we skip down to verse 39, it says, and they put their faith in him too because of her testimony. And then as he kept talking and minister, they said they put their faith in him again, all over again, without her testimony because they recognized he is the Messiah on the witness of this. This woman, an entire town, came to know Christ. Why? Because it was real. Because something had shifted in a 15-minute interaction with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Something had shifted through the eyes of this Samaritan woman. She's just going through life. She grew up pious. She grew up memorizing the Torah. She's better than the Jews. They've got all these other goofy books. We stick to the five main books. And they're real. They're the words of God as given to Moses. They're the law. It's powerful. We hold to it. How much has it helped her? She can't keep marriages together. She's not free from perversion. But she knows a lot of religiousness. I've met some folks like that. Have you ever met those guys? might have been those guys at some stage in my Christian walk. And from her eyes, I think there are four deep truths that you and I can apply to our life. Four things that God did in her that she, I think, had revelation on or what I'm calling the way she saw it. And I think you ought to write these down. It'll help you. Number one, I can't be or do good without the living water. I'm telling you, some of you, you thinking that church is going to fix you. Church ain't going to fix you. Making a decision for Jesus was a step. It was the right step. Making him Lord of your life is magnificent. But friend, the more I get into the word, the more I realize I am wicked. The more I compare myself to the truth. The Bible calls it a mirror. The law. As I, mirror the, I look into the great law of God, I recognize that I am nowhere close to that. I am so vile and I am so undone. Oh, but there is a living water. There's a power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, can you imagine the St. Peter who denied him three times, cussing up a storm to the little servant girl? I tell you, blanking, blanking, I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm not with him. Rooster crows. And then we see him days later. Power of the Holy Spirit comes upon him, Acts chapter 2, and he begins to preach boldly. See, the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that you shall receive power. I love when you pray in tongues. But that ain't the goal. The goal is power. To be like Jesus. Act like Jesus. Do what Jesus. Are you with me? Somebody shout amen. I have a beautiful prayer language. I hope that all of you get a beautiful prayer. I want you to have it. Because it engages me with the Father. It's my personal language with him. But friend, can I tell you something? The living water he's talking about. The goal. The reason is that you may be empowered to overcome those old nasty temptations from the past. Instead of stabbing them in the neck, saying, I bless you in Jesus' name. My little dumb co-worker. Hallelujah. Come on. Instead of cussing up that little 19-year-old up and down, tell him, get his stuff, get out of your house. You say, come here, buddy. Let's pray. Come on, son. You ain't got, let's get this thing together. The power. 
I'll never forget, we got radically saved. Me, me, and Pop sitting here on the front row, Mom and Dad. We got radically saved. Good denominational church. It was so awesome. But, friend, I'm telling you, all the preaching did, all the ministry did, was help me know how much wicked I was. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, my God. I hated going. I was always at the front repenting for the same sin over and over again. I'll never forget, Mimi and Pop had one of these nights that Christian people don't have, one of those knockdown, drag out fights that Christians don't have. They had one of those nights. And I'll never forget, Mom locked herself in the bathroom. She won't tell you this, but it's true. <laughs> locked herself in the bathroom, and they were steadily yelling. We had a little video house, and Dad, Dad's like, Open the doors! I ain't that. Go away. I'm so mad at you. Open the door. We'll kick it in. You <laughs> he kicks it in. They're spitting and fighting. I've got the little cordless phone. Remember those? And I'm dialing 911 like, they're going to kill each other. And then mom's like, don't call nobody. And dad takes off in his truck and he peels out and he goes away. And just weeks earlier, we had met this person who had been telling us about the power of the Holy Spirit. He was in a non-denominational church where they believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures that we skipped over in our denomination, they were actually studying them to find truth in them. What I'm explaining to you today. And he went and found them and they were in a small group. Watch yourself. He went in there and he said, and they were like, Mike, what are you doing here? He's like, listen, I know I don't go to your church. And I don't believe in what y'all believe in. I need help. I need whatever y'all got. I need this because I can't keep my life together. I can't live like this. I'm not doing this anymore. And they said, Mike, what you need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, give it. I don't care. Whatever it is, lay, lay hands on me. They laid hands on him. And Papa describes like hot oil came over him, like the power of God began to surge through him. God gave him, in that moment, a beautiful prayer language. And he came home. I'll never forget, we were already in bed. Got us out of bed. Got us in the living room floor. Tears coming down his cheeks. I hadn't seen him cry like that. And he just repented and started telling us about the power of God. Mom said, I want it. And we showed up at that little home church the next Sunday. I was like, this is a cult. What are we doing here? <laughs> and friend, from that point forward, man... Something began to happen in us, and we got filled with that living water that you'll never thirst again. Come on, somebody. So it don't matter to me when you tell me, I don't know if Jesus is real. Well, praise God, I got some living water. You are still thirsty. I'm not. I, I'm refreshed every morning. His mercies are renewed every morning, as well as the fire of God in my, in my belly. And I'm telling you, when the day of Pentecost came and they got baptized, something supernatural happened to ordinary dudes and dudettes who couldn't stand for Jesus, who couldn't overcome temptation. In that moment, boom. And from there, Christianity exploded around the world. The living water. She recognized that's what she needed. She recognized she didn't have it. Frank, can I tell you something? You better recognize what they used to say. (laughs) Here's the second thing that she saw, and that was ownership is the key to freedom. Ownership is the key to freedom. When she finally said, I'm not married, she stopped making excuses. She stopped wiggling her way out of confrontation. Maybe it's not the 16 places you work for. Maybe it's you. What if it's not your wife is so terrible, sir? What if you need to make a change? What if the excuses you've made year after year after year that have become comfortable are actually the thing keeping you bound? Years ago, when I was doing young adult ministry, we had a young man in our ministry situation. He had came up through our ranks, and he had he had a poverty life. He was in situ- situation. He had to quit school and work, and had to give money back to his parents. You know, and they were they were you know they were in a hard place. And I, I mean they were they were in a tough place, and and he carried that. And uh, and but man, 
you know, we kept encouraging him, propping him up, made him a small group leader with the youth and stuff. And then, and then of course, you know, we had to confront him because he, you know, was having sex with one of the girls in the youth group and that kind of thing. And then, of course, he got mad because we didn't handle it right. Well, how do you handle it? Stop having sex with somebody. What's wrong with you? You're supposed to be a leader. You're supposed to be a Christian. Why are you having sex with a girl in the youth group? What's wrong with you? Repent. Be right with God. So I don't know how you handle it. I just, don't do that. <laughs> be like Jesus. What's wrong with you? And so then the church is nothing but hypocrites, and he, he ran off and got all mad. Excuse, excuse after excuses. Always, you know, buying things that he can't afford because, you know, had a poverty mentality. Always somebody else's fault. Married, ended up having a couple kids. Multiple adulterous affairs, you know, because his wife wasn't good enough. She wasn't sweet enough because she didn't, you know, provide enough, whatever it may be. Worked her to bone, made her have a job. Those poor kids never got his attention. Started working out in the gym, started steroid in and out, and he started buying his steroids online, had them shipped to him. And one day he comes home, gets the package, signs for it, goes inside, and the FBI, I mean SWAT team, come through the windows, back doors, pinning down, put him in jail, and he is in all-out panic. And for the first time in his life, something happened. And he's sitting in that prison cell, and he owns it. He said, Jesus, my whole life, I've made excuses for my own actions. I blamed it on everybody else on why my life sucked. But the truth of the matter is, it's me. And I humble myself. And I just want you to heal me. You don't have to take me out of prison. I'll go to jail. I'll pay my due. I I need to. I don't care what happens. But Jesus, do something in me because me is the problem. When he did that and confessed that, He said it was as though the heavens opened up. Why? Because he owned it. The word of God, Jesus said it like this in the book of John. He said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth does not set you free. Knowing the truth will set you free. There's truth all out there. The problem is ain't none of us want to know about it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to own it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with the fact we're lazy. We don't want to deal with the fact that, you know, we're critical. We don't want to deal with the fact that people don't want to be around us because we're mean. We don't want to deal with that. So it's got to be this person's fault and this situation's fault. And because I have to work two jobs and that's why I got to do this because you got to have this. And we make all these excuses. But the moment we sit down and we just say, I own it. I own it. I'm the problem, and I need your help, Jesus. That's when freedom comes in like a flood. (laughs) Like a flood. And in this moment, he's sitting in prison, and he goes, I own it. It's me, God. Cheated on my wife. I've done this. I've done this. And God, I'm the guy with the problem. Heal me. And in that moment, it's like he says, it's like the windows of heaven open up. Begins to weep. He asks for them to get him a Bible. He starts reading through the Bible. He starts writing things. I go visit him. He's He's, sh- he's sharing things, and he's like, I don't care if I get out of jail. Most of the time, it's like, I'm trying to do this so I can get out of my situation. I'm using God to hopefully, you know, get out of jail. He's not doing that. I'm telling you, he was in there a week or so, and it shifted. Whatever happened in the court system, he didn't even go to trial. They just threw it out, and he went home. He started being a minister of the gospel. He started preaching. Everything. It was unbelievable. In one moment, it shifted. Why? Because he owned it for the first time in his life. She owned it. And that's when freedom came. Some of you got some things you need to own. So I'm making excuses. It ain't everybody else's fault. So I grew up like this. And I had this happen. But welcome to life. Welcome to life. But God is bigger than all of those circumstances. Trusting him and walking with him. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us. And his ways are good. Here's the third thing that I think she saw. And that was... 
my solution may not be packaged the way I thought. She was looking for a Samaritan dude to one day be the Messiah. Look, not only that, she was just trying to go down there and get through her day. She's just trying to make it through the day. Some of you, we got to pay attention. You've entertained angels unaware and you didn't know it. You've missed opportunities to interact with the things of God. Why? Because we get so busy. I, I get so busy. I miss the moment. And it, the solution was standing right in front of her. All the pain, all the suffering, all the, all the scourge, all the disrespect that the community had for her. The answer to it all, the solution, the salve, if you will, the healing balm is standing right in front of her. She almost missed it. Why? Because she expected it to be packaged a different way. I'll never forget, after all the miscarriages that Jamie and I went through, my heart was still angry at the Lord. And I kept saying, Lord, I can't fix this, so I'm expecting you to fix because I don't like you right now. I'm mad at you. I'm still preaching, but I don't like you right now. And I thought maybe our pastor would hold me and tell me God said, or a prophet would point me out in a service, the Lord says to you, he's going to bless you and make you prosperous. I was like, just give me money, Lord. Come on. And it didn't happen that way. What happened was, and I'll never forget this, I was out of town ministering. I was talking about God's goodness. And afterwards, this couple came up to me and said, listen, they didn't know anything. I didn't share what Jamie and I had been going through and shared we lost a baby. And she just began to weep. She had multiple babies. And I don't believe he's real. I don't believe he's good. Do you really believe that? And in that moment, I had to own it. I said, well, yes, he's good. I believe that he'll heal you. And so I started praying out of my pain. I thought the package would look more like someone would point me out, minister to me. I need somebody to minister to me. And I started ministering to them. And as I started ministering to them, he started healing me. It was amazing in that interaction. A couple months later, they emailed me, said, we've conceived. A couple months later, they sent me pictures of the baby. It was a process. I thought it was going to be one way. So you keep thinking God's going to fix it this way. And he's like, look, I'm going to package it totally different. What you thought it was going to be ain't going to be what it's going to be. The end goal. And that is to prosper you, to bless you, to love you, to show you goodness. I'm going to accomplish that. But if you don't stop looking at the, at the thing, that, if you don't stop, if you don't let go of the way you think it's supposed to happen, you will miss it when it's packaged differently. It's going to be right there in front of you and you'll miss it. Let me tell you something. Don't you run past him just because you thought he was going to be six foot four. Come on, somebody. With an eight pack, he found an extra pair. And you got the little short fat guy trying to treat you right. Come on, somebody. Here's the final thing that she, that she was aware of, and that is people will listen when it's real. People will listen when it's real. I get frustrated with most people's concept of evangelism because they think evangelism is telling people what they need to change. This woman won a whole city. You know how she did it? Come meet the one who exposed me, who saw all the junk inside of me and still loved me. I did this and I did, I did it. And he loves me. Come meet him. She didn't go to them telling them what they needed to change. She went to them saying, come meet the one 
who saw all my trash, all my junk, and he still loved me, he still cared for me, he still embraced me, he wouldn't walk away from me. He stood there and he spoke life into me and something shifted. Come meet the one, come meet the man. Listen, let me tell you something. When it's real, people will listen. You don't have to beg him to come to church. Jesus said this, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Listen, I love that we have some good little structures and some good little pieces in place to love on people and tell people we're here as a church. But at the end of the day, your experience with him it will all cause them to either want him or deny him. Your experience with him, your realness and authenticity of what he's doing in you will cause others to either say, I gotta have that, or say, yeah, you like everybody else, whatever. Friend, that, that's what shifted in her. She wasn't making excuses anymore. She went out through the town. But she's the hoochie mama. Come. Come make the man. You're like, ah. You know, them wives are like, you'd better not go with her. I will cut you. I mean, you can you imagine? They, she's like, you are not going out there. But the whole town ends up going out there with her. Why? Because it was real. It was authentic. It was sincere. It wasn't dead religion. It wasn't a set of rules or 16 points in a point. She experienced the living water and the giver thereof, Jesus, the Messiah. Have you experienced him? You have the living water flowing through you? Do you know him to the place that it's real and authentic to you? And it's not a game. It's not a duty. It's not a set of religious tasks to check off your boxes. Like your to-do list where I'm going to work out. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to buy groceries. I'm going to make a little mott, a little little shake for lunch so I can stay skinny and sexy. I'm going to go to the tanning bed. And I'm going to ask Jesus to bless me on the way home. Or is he the center of your world? The transforming power of the Holy Spirit abiding in you and me. The reason for my existence, to make him great on the planet. I want you to stand with me all across the room today. The way she saw it. So many times we picture those who Jesus loved and touched as some kind of awesome people who were really good. We put them usually in a category of those who minister and those who need to be ministered to. We put most people in church life in a category of those who got it all together and those of us that come once a month. Or twice a year, Easter and Christmas. And that's just not reality. Reality is this. We all need Jesus. We all need to own the fact that we don't got it right. Sorry for my bad English, but that's the truth. But we don't have it right. Every day is just a day waking up and looking in that miracle of the law. The truth of the word. Going, oh, I don't look like that. And then looking at Jesus and say, oh, but I want to look like that. And then calling on the Holy Spirit to empower me to be like Christ every day. Some days are better than others. Come on, somebody. Some days are a lot worse than others. But this is real Christianity. She gets it. She's not even a Jew. She's in conflict with his people. She doesn't even believe the Messiah is going to come from the Jews. But in this interaction, truth comes out. What truth have you pushed away? I want you to close your eyes with me. Right where you stand. There's some things that you and I need to own today. You need to just own it and ask the Lord for help. Because only in owning it can freedom come. Are you critical of others? Own it. Do you have a bad habit of quitting the moment it gets tough? Own it. Do you make excuses for what you don't know how to do instead of asking for help? Own it and ask for help. Do you struggle 
but yet pretend that you don't because people are counting on you. Own it. Own it. The truth may come. And knowing that truth will bring you freedom. Then the living water of God can flow through you. Do you lack the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you love Christ but have no power? Let me tell you, friend, right here, right now, you should ask the Lord, say, give me your power. Give me the gift that was promised me. I didn't get my gift yet. I don't have my gift yet. I got shortchanged. Somebody didn't tell me about it. I'm telling you today, there's a gift waiting on you, the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome. Oh, you've already been regenerated just because you've called on Christ. But the power to overcome. Father, I ask you now, minister to us. Church on the Hill, Lord. One people group, one mindset, Lord. Multiracial, multigenerational, different denominational backgrounds, different different financial backgrounds, different life experiences, but one family. Minister to us, Daddy. Teach us the truth about ourselves. We want to own it so freedom can come. We humble ourselves. We ask for help. We don't have it all together. We don't even know how to keep it all together. We need your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us. Baptize us. Give us prayer languages. Give us interaction. Give us power like you promised us. Power to overcome power to live and act and be like Jesus. Jesus, you even said unless our righteousness surpassed that of the Pharisees. How are we going to do that? We need your power. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Every heart is open. Every mind is open. Every bad doctrine from the past we just we lay it aside and we ask for truth. Lord, I pray that men and women in this room Lord God would begin to seek you. Find you. Those who have not experienced your gift will call upon you to get their gift that's waiting on them. Power of the Holy Spirit flowing through our veins. Jesus. What about our friends? What about our neighbors? Or we want to be like this woman, Lord God, but something's got to happen in us to where they see the authenticity. So Lord, shift us. Remake us. Do something new in us. Awaken the life that you promised. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give a call today. If you're away from the Lord, you be honestly, Pastor, I'm not a Christian. I, I got to be honest. I'm going to own it today. Or maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but life happened. I walked away. I've been there. I know what you're doing, going through. And you feel the shame of that. You feel the guilt of it right where you're standing. I got good news for you. You don't have to leave like that. You don't have to perform for his favor. You don't have to perform for his forgiveness. He did all the performing. He died on a cross. He made it up the hill of Golgotha. Didn't quit. He bridged the gap between us and the Father. That cross is like this bridge between the, over the chasm between us and God. The Word of God says it like this. If you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's not a performance. It's an acceptance of what was done in that making him the Lord of your life calling him lordship over you in that process filling of the Holy Spirit strengthening of who you are to live and serve the Lord your God today if you desire that if today you recognize I'm not a Christian I'm away from God I want to be a Christian I would like to pray with you I'm not going to call you forward I'm not looking to embarrass you or point you out It's not who we are at Church on the Hill. But at the same time, we're not ashamed of this decision. You need to be bold enough to make that decision in and of your own strength. It's 
a private decision, and I get it, we're in public. But this is your moment. No one's looking around. Every head is bowed and every eye closed. If you say, Pastor, that's me, pray with me. I'm going to pray with you right where you stand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer here in just a moment, but you need to own it with me today. If that's you, throw your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to serve God. I'm ready to be a Christian. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you, sweetheart. Uh, two more seconds. I don't, I don't want to bully you or anything like that. I just want to give you that. Thank you. Thank you, love. I just want to give you the opportunity. I, I know this is, this is tugging at your heart, so just let the Lord do what he wants to do in you. Don't worry about being perfect. Just respond to his love. Is there anyone else? Pray for me. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm not asking you to be good. I'm asking you, do you want Jesus today? God bless you, sir. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. I think it would be very special if you prayed it out loud because you could hear yourself meaning it. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray it out loud. And those of you that lifted your hands, I just want you to mean it from the depths of your heart. I don't think there's any ma- anything magical about this prayer. I think what's supernatural is you responded to God tugging at your heart. That's cool. Only God could do that. I'm not a good enough preacher to do that. So let's pray. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. And I need your help. And I ask you now to forgive me. I accept what you did on the cross for me 2,000 years ago. And today, in front of everybody, in front of heaven, in front of my heart, I declare Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. I ask you now, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand, who prayed that prayer with all sincerity. Even those who maybe didn't get their hand up, but they meant that prayer. They they felt as though you were drawing them close and they came to you and they declared you the Lord of their life. Lord God, I thank you right now. Peace will come upon them. Wrap them in the joy of their salvation. Let them sense today as they walk out the building. Oh, they're not perfect, but they are forgiven. Lord, as they walk out of this place today, and the lies, Lord God, later in the day start coming on their mind. Oh, you didn't really mean that. Oh, you you know you're going to go back. Lord, let those lies be silenced. Let the truth, the truth that though a righteous man fall, yet shall he arise every time. That, Lord, we're not righteous because we're good. We're righteous because you're good. And you've accepted us. You put us on your team. You call us sons and daughters. Not because of what we did, because of what you did. And we accepted that. And Lord, made that truth win out over every lie, over every temptation. Let the power of the Holy Spirit begin to surge in these men and women to the place that there's power to overcome. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. In Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted amen and amen.